Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day. God's good. We've made it through another week to Him. All glory. I love that song, Worthy is Your Name, because it's a reminder that He is truly why we celebrate every day of our lives, not just during this season. Are you ready to receive today? Now, I told you if you were here uh, the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving that I have uh, favorite stories. I have a favorite Thanksgiving story, and I also have a favorite Christmas story. How many remember the pig with the wooden leg? Anybody remember that story of the pig with the wooden leg? If you weren't here that Sunday, all you got to do is go to our CWC Life CV page, uh, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page, and you can hear the story of the pig with a wooden leg. Now, uh, there was a, uh, a young boy that desperately wanted a bicycle for Christmas, so he asked his parents for the bike. Uh, his parents, however, wanted to teach him about the importance of prayer, so they suggested that the young man should write a letter to Jesus and pray for one instead. Not pleased with the response from his parents, he immediately threw a temper tantrum, and his parents then sent him to his room. Once he was in his room, he decided to take his parents' advice and write a letter to Jesus. And this is the letter that he wrote. Dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year and would love a new bicycle. Can you see if I can have a bicycle? Your friend, Johnny. Now, Johnny knew that Jesus really knew what kind of boy he had been that year, so he ripped up the letter and decided to try again. Here's a second letter he wrote. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, and I want a new bicycle. Yours truly, Johnny. Well, Johnny knew that that wasn't totally honest, so he tore it up and he tried again. Here's the third letter. Dear Jesus, I thought about being a good boy this year, and can I have a bicycle? Johnny. Then Johnny looked deep down in his heart, which, by the way, was what his parents wanted him to do in the first place. He knew he had been a bad boy and hoped that he would receive something simply because Jesus loved him. He then crumpled up the letter, threw it in the trash can, and then he went downstairs where his mother had a nativity scene on the fireplace mantle. He then took the statue of Mary, and he wrapped it in a blanket, and then he placed it under his bed. Then he wrote this letter to Jesus. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, give me a bicycle. (laughs) Uh, we, We have to admit that people will do almost anything to get what they want for Christmas. Now, I want to continue sharing with you on the hope of Christmas this morning. Now, a number of years ago, uh, there was a show that was called the Merv Griffin Show. In fact, it ran during the 1960s through the mid-1980s, the Merv Griffin Show. Anybody remember? Uh, I have some of my peeps here from my time period, yeah. Uh, and on, the, on this show, one particular day, there was a guest who appeared that was a bodybuilder. 
Uh, as he entered with his huge muscular frame, the crowd went crazy with applause. And then he flexed his muscles, walking over to the seat to be interviewed. Merv's first question to him seemed to catch the bodybuilder off guard. He asked him, what do you use all those muscles for? A bit puzzled, the bodybuilder simply stood up and flexed his muscles again while the crowd again applauded wildly. As he sat down, Merv again asked him, what do you use all those muscles for? Again, with a puzzled and somewhat frustrated appearance, the bodybuilder stood up and flexed his muscles once again to a cheering audience. Merv, however, was undaunted and insisted a third time, what do you use those muscles for? The bodybuilder was stumped and had no answer. All he could do is sit there and look bewildered at Merv's constant question. You see, the problem with the man is that he had a lot of power, but he had no purpose. He had a lot of power, but with no purpose. He thought that form and flex was enough. How many of you would admit that we need a power that is beyond ourselves? In life, you're going to come to realize, as I have, that we need a power beyond ourselves. We need that power to do something useful and helpful for ourselves and others. Some people do not have any idea of how often we are dependent in this life for a power source outside ourselves. For example, there was a 747 jet that was halfway across the Atlantic when the captain got on the loudspeaker and said, attention passengers, we have lost one of our engines, but we can certainly reach London with the three we have left. Unfortunately, we will arrive an hour late as a result. An hour later, the captain made another announcement. Sorry, but we lost another engine. Still, we can travel on two. I'm afraid we will now arrive two hours late. Shortly thereafter, yeah, you guessed it, he came on again. And he said, guess what, folks? We just lost our third engine, but please be assured we can fly with only one. At this, and then he said, we will now arrive in London three hours late. At this point, one passenger became, I mean, furious, hotly angry. And he said, for Pete's sake, if we lose another engine, we'll be up here all night. It's apparent that that guy did not understand how dependent that he was on a power beyond himself. Think about it. From the electricity which silently pulses throughout this building today, for the sun which spreads its light on us every day, for the oxygen which we take in to our lungs constantly, it is easy for you and I to take power for granted. But the most important power needed today is the power of mighty God. Because He alone has the power to save, to lead, to keep, and to finally take us home to live with Him forever. Well, the good news is Christ Jesus is the mighty God. But His power is not simply for the purpose of flexing or showing off his form. No, he has purpose in his power. It is his power that meets our deepest need. As we noted last week, the book of Isaiah 
is filled with prophecies of the future that God gave the prophet having to do in particular with the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. Many are mentioned in the New Testament as being fulfilled in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, Isaiah 7.14 predicts the virgin birth of someone to be known as Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And this is quoted in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 1.23. After the angel told Joseph that Mary, a virgin, was with child by the Holy Spirit. We also noted last week that names in the Bible carry messages. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means the Lord saves, Matthew 1.21. And the name Isaiah means Jehovah saves or God saves. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we discover the importance of names again. Look with me at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This morning, I want to focus on the second name that Isaiah mentions, Mighty God. Now, Mighty is from the Hebrew, Gabor, and it means strong, mighty, powerful, by implication, warrior, tyrant. It also has the meanings of champion, valiant man or chief. I want you to see that what Isaiah was prophesying and predicting, that the one that would come and be born of a virgin would be more than just a mere man. He would be God himself. Why do you say that? Because associated with Gabor is the meaning of warrior. And this is what Moses said of God himself in Exodus 15.3. He said, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Interesting as well, mighty God. The word translated mighty has the additional meaning of hero. Say hero. The Lord is the infinite hero of his people. The divine warrior who has triumphed over sin and death. Now, undoubtedly, some of you have seen the following image posted on someone's Facebook or Instagram page. You see it there, Jesus sharing with superheroes, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Captain America, how he saved the world. I want you to know the mighty one is the only one who was fit and the only one willing to come and face life as we face it and yet did not sin because his aim was to die as the perfect substitutionary sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And because he has died and was buried and rose again, our mighty hero opened the way for you and I, regardless of our past, to have a glorious future through Him. He is the mighty one. He is the heroic one who deserves our worship today. Now, as we've noted, the Hebrew term for mighty means champion or hero. A champion is one who is left standing after a conflict is over. A champion is one who still stands when all others have fallen and failed. A hero is one who gains the respect of people because of his exploits. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus our Lord. He is 
the champion. He fits the definition to a team. Now, there is a psalm in the book of Psalms. And if you didn't know it, Psalms mean songs. There's a song in Psalms that is sung and, and was sung by the Hebrew Old Testament people. And it was a psalm that was commemorate, commemorating the glorious entrance of a great king. It's found in Psalm 24. And I want you to look at the words with me. Verses 7 through 10. The Bible says in Psalm 24, 7 through 10, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong, and there it is, Gabor, mighty. The Lord Gabor, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the King of glory. And then it ends with Selah which means pause. Take a moment to meditate. Take a moment to consider what I have just declared. Take a moment to stop and reflect on what I have just written. What is it that the Lord is strong and He is Gabor? He is mighty. He is heroic. Now, if you were to study this passage in a commentary or in a Bible reference, you'll discover that there are different applications suggested by different commentators and scholars regarding this passage. One of those applications is this was fulfilled when the Ark of the Covenant came back to Jerusalem. Historically, Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant. What was the Ark of the Covenant? It was this chest. It was this box. It was this, 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 this ark that was made of, of three and a, and three quarters long and two and one quarter wide. And underneath the lid on this ark was the Ten Commandments and Aaron's, uh, uh, Aaron's uh, staff that budded. And uh, we know that they, and it would be placed in the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build. And in the Holy of Holies, once a year, the high priest would go in where this ark was and he he would take the blood of a sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the ark because again the ark had in it it had the ten commandments which the people had broken over and over again so once a year which was known as the day of atonement the priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood of an innocent sufferer and sacrifice on behalf of the people so that their sins could be covered now that ark of the covenant represented the presence and power of God among the people because it was at the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies that God's glory cloud would descend and sit there. On the ends of this Ark, there were two cherubim. Two cherubim that represented angelic beings that are there protecting, preserving what God has established for His people. And God would come periodically and He would descend and His glory would sit in between the cherubim that represent the angelic beings that forever both now and forevermore are worshiping, declaring who God is, holy, 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 which means you are a cut above. You are different. You 
are unique. There's no one that matches up to you. Holy, holy, holy. You are separate from all sin and evil. And this ark represented the presence and power of God among the people. So the people of Israel, when, when David retrieved and returned the ark that had been taken by the Philistines back into the city of Jerusalem, they celebrated by singing this songs, lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, open up everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. They were celebrating the one that triumphs, the one whose power and presence is the key to our victory has returned to us and he deserves our praise because only through him, only through his might, only through his power can we obtain victory. How many of you know today that's the reason why we worship and praise in this house. That's the reason why when we come in here, we declare like we did, worthy is your name. Why? It's the name above every name. We're not worshiping the king of England. We are worshiping the king of kings. We are worshiping the one that is greater, that is stronger, that is mightier than anyone else. So that's one application. The second application that some suggest is this. Regarding sect, Psalm 24, 7 through 10, this was fulfilled when the ascended Jesus entered into heaven. This was fulfilled when Jesus returned to heaven after coming to earth, dying, being buried, raised again. And then for 40 days, he demonstrated that he was alive to the disciples. And then he went on the mount and then he ascended before their eyes, returning to heaven. The Bible says that he who ascended, first descended in Ephesians 4. What's that referring to? Some believe that it's referring to the fact that Jesus went to paradise, the holding place for the Old Testament saints. And now he's transporting them as he's returning to heaven with himself. And that's what some believe that as you've seen him go up with clouds, that the clouds represent, represented the Old Testament saints being taken from paradise into the real thing, heaven itself. And so now Jesus is returning back to heaven, having accomplished his mission on earth. And the angels in heaven are saying at every entry point, open you gates, open you everlasting doors. Why? The king of glory is returning. The king who triumphed over sin and death and has made the way for God's people to live forever in this perfect place called heaven. He is come. I want you to know this is why we worship the mighty God because he has made a way for those that put their faith in him to have something to look forward to. There's a place where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, no more sin. It's the new heaven and he's making a new earth. That's the reason why why I celebrate because even though there's going to come a day when I'm going to be buried and put into the ground, I'm coming back because he, the resurrection, has made the way for my body to be glorified, transformed into a new body. And I will live forever because he has triumphed for me. Whew. You wonder why I get excited about it? When you understand what's implied... Like, you can't be like, uh-uh, talking forever. But then there's a third application. Some say that this passage is fulfilled when an individual 
opens his heart to King Jesus. Jesus said this in Revelation 3.20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Have you opened the door of your heart to Jesus? Then the King of glory has come in. The mighty God, the champion in battle has come in. So what does this name mighty God mean? It means several things. First it means the Lord will fight for you. This name mighty God means the Lord will fight for you. There was an elderly Florida lady. She did her shopping. And when she returned to her car, she found four men in act of leaving her without a vehicle. She dropped her shopping bags And then she drew her handgun and she proceeded to scream at them at the top of her voice. I have a gun and I know how to use it. Get out of my car, you scumbags. The four men didn't wait for a second. They got out and they ran like mad. The lady, somewhat shaken, loaded her shopping bags into the back of the car and got into the driver's seat. She was so shaken that she could not get her key. Into the ignition. She tried and tried. And then it dawned on her why. A few minutes later, she found her own car parked four or five spaces farther down. <laughs> she, she loaded her bags into her car and she drove to the nearest police station. The sergeant, to whom she told the story, was laughing so hard he was crying. And he pointed to the other end of the counter where four pale men were reporting a carjacking by a crazy elderly woman described as white, less than five feet tall, glasses and curly white hair, carrying a very large handgun. You'll be happy to know that no charges were filed. (laughs) Now, a crazy old lady with the handgun? That'll scare the Hades out of you. Some of you are like, what's Hades? Ask, ask a Christian, they'll let you know. <laughs> but I want to say to you today, the reality is that some of us are fighting battles. Some of you are fighting a battle with your emotions. Your emotions are running wild because you're overwhelmed by what life has thrown at you. Others of you are fighting a battle physically. You're dealing with an ailment or sickness in your body that you just can't shake off. You're fighting a battle. Some of you are in conflict right now. You're fighting a battle for your family. It looks like things are being shredded and things are being torn apart in your home. You're fighting a battle. But I want to say to you, don't be afraid. God is fighting for you. God fights for you. In the book of Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we read this, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Watch this, the Lord himself will fight for you, just stay calm. Did you get that? 
Here now, Moses finds himself dealing with the people that are in panic mode. Why are they panicking? Because behind them, there comes, the Egyptians are coming with Pharaoh. They're coming, and they're coming fast. And before them is a Red Sea, and they seem like they're boxed in. They're between a rock and a hard place. They see no way out. But Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. Stand still. Stay calm. The Lord will fight for you. And, and I believe I have a word for somebody today. You do not need to fear when it seems there is no way out of your dilemma because God will fight for you and bring about a great deliverance. Stay calm. Why? Because your God has not forgotten you. Your God is going to show up. Your God is going to show out. Your God is going to show your enemy. Enemy, you don't have the last word. I am Alpha. I am beginning and end. I am the one who fights for my people. And then we have another occasion where this same sentiment of God fighting for us is expressed. It's found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat has just received the news that there are three armies that have allied together to come and attack him. And the people of God. And when he first receives the news, the Bible says that he was alarmed. He was terrified. But then he decided to go from panic mode to praying mode. He began to call on God. And he invited the people to join him in calling on God. And in the middle of their calling on God, God causes his spirit to come upon a young man who gives a prophetic word. And here it is. The Bible says there in Second Chronicles 20, verses 14 through 17, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mathaniah, a Levite, who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Get that. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up from the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeril. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Here's another word for somebody. You do not need to fear when you are outnumbered by your enemies because it's not your fight. It's God's. It's not your fight. It's God's. And you don't need to worry. I'm encouraging you. Don't worry. Worship. Why, Pastor? Because in the midst of your worship, God will go to war for you. That's what this people did. The next morning, Jehoshaphat says, put the singers in front of our warriors. Put the singers in front of our warriors as we go into the battlefield. Why did he do that? Uh, Because he wanted his enemies to know we're singing. We're celebrating. They're probably thinking, what in the world is wrong with him? Don't they know that they're outnumbered by us? How can they be singing and celebrating? It's because King Jehoshaphat knew if God said it, it's as good as done. If God promised you, it's as good as done. If God's given you a prophetic word, it's as good as done. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be down on yourself. Even though you feel outnumbered, our God will fight for His people. He will fight for you. 
Whew. Mighty God also means the Lord has fought for you. The Lord has fought for you. This is what Paul speaks of in Colossians 1, 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has, say has, qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, God's people in the light. For he has, say has, rescued us and has, say has, drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has, say has, transferred us to the kingdom of his blood son in whom we have, say have, See, he knew you were going to get bored with has, so he added have there. Redemption, because of his sacrifice resulting in the forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sin's penalty. That's why we have a cross here. To remind us, he has fought for us. A small orphan boy lived with his grandmother. One night, their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to rescue the little boy asleep upstairs, perished in the smoke and flames. A crowd gathered around the burning house. The boy's cry for help were heard above the crackling of the blaze. No one seemed to know what to do, for the front of the house was a mass of flames. Suddenly, a stranger rushed from the crowd and circled to the back where he spotted an iron pipe that reached an upstairs window. He disappeared for a moment, then reappeared with the boy in his arms. Amid the cheers of the crowd, he climbed down the hot pipe as the boy hung around his neck. Weeks later, a public hearing was held in the the town hall to determine in whose custody the boy would be placed. Each person wanting the boy was allowed to speak briefly. The first man said, I have a big farm. Everybody needs the out of doors. The second man told of the advantages he could provide. I'm a teacher. I have a large library. He would get a good education with me. Others spoke. Finally, the richest man in the community said, I'm wealthy. I could give the boy everything mentioned tonight, farm, education, and more, including money and travel. I'd like him in my home. Then the chairman asked, Anyone else like to say a word? From the back seat rose a stranger who had slipped in unnoticed. As he walked toward the front, deep suffering showed on his face. Reaching the front of the room, he stood directly in front of the little boy. Slowly, the stranger removed his hands from his pockets. A gasp went up from the crowd. The little boy, whose eyes had been focused on the floor until now, looked up. The man's hands were terribly scarred. Suddenly, the boy emitted a cry of recognition. Here was a man who had saved his life. His hands were scarred from climbing up and down that hot pipe. With a leap, the boy threw himself around the stranger's neck, and he held on for life. The farmer rose and left, the teacher too, then the rich man. Everyone departed, leaving the boy and his rescuer, who had won him without a word. Those marred hands spoke more effectively than the words of the others. Do you know why I love Jesus the way I do? Is because if you check out his hands and you check out his feet, you'll discover the only souvenirs that he returned to heaven with from earth 
scars. Scars that tell of what he was willing to do to redeem you and me. Scars that tell the truth that he has fought for me. This is why I come with joy inexpressible into his house. This is why regardless of the trouble and trial I may be dealing with in my life, I come in entering his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because I know the Lord has fought for me. He has demonstrated that he loved me. He showed what he declared. Greater love has no man than this, than that he should lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus won up what he said. The Bible says through Paul, but God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, even when we were falling short, even when we were missing the mark, even when we were enemies of God, Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. Because I want you in my family. I want to redeem you. He has fought for you. So if you wonder, does my life matter? Do I have meaning? I'm here to tell you, Jesus has fought for you to let you know you do matter. And that he was willing to give his all to redeem you and let you know you have purpose. And no matter what has happened in your past, because of what he did on that cross of Calvary, your past can be broken and your future can begin to unfold in him today. And one more, say one more. The Lord has won the fight for you. That's what mighty God means. The Lord has won the fight for you. What do you mean, pastor? Paul wrote this in Colossians 2:15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural powers of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Don't miss what he's saying. Because this is the same Paul that would tell believers in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Why is that significant? Because he's just telling us in Colossians, Jesus has already defeated on the cross the enemies that you got to fight with. This is why... We say, as believers, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. You see, I'm just an enforcer of what Jesus has already accomplished. So when you say, Pat, no, it doesn't matter what demon the devil throws your way to try to resist you, to try to discourage you, that imp has already been defeated on the cross through Jesus Christ, and you have the deputy's star in the name of Jesus to reinforce what Jesus already did. Put that thing under your feet and say, get out of my way. Woo! Tell somebody, you better flex. Now watch this, John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous. Be confident. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy. Why? I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. What was Jesus saying? Look, 
in me, by what I've said, what I've taught, under the anointing of the Spirit, you can have peace no matter what. But also be aware, Jesus is saying, in the world, while you're on earth, you're going to have trouble. You're going to experience stress. You're going to deal with problems. You're going to deal with pressure. But cheer up. Cheer up. You just said in the world, I'm going to have pressure that's going to be stressing and pressure that's going to be overwhelming. Cheer up. How can I cheer? And this is what he said. I have overcome the world. What's Jesus saying? Watch this. this. This is powerful. This is why I get excited. This is why I want to do sometimes what my dad did. My dad would get so excited, he would literally run through the aisle. But I can't do that. I might pull something. Now watch this. Jesus, the one that died, overcame the principalities and powers. When he walked on earth, the Bible says he was tempted in every point just like you and I are, yet without sin. He conquered everything you and I are going to face in life. He faced it. He kept himself without sin. Why? He wanted to please the Father and he wanted to die as a perfect sacrifice so you and I could be reconciled to God and have eternal life. But watch this. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he also made the way. Watch this. For the same spirit that came upon him and empowered him to do the will of God, face devils, face demons, face mockery, face rejection, and still overcome. Now, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can now be filled with that same Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is in you, you can redo what Jesus did. You can overcome the way he did because you have his spirit inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I want you to understand, whatever you're facing right now that seems overwhelming, Jesus has already overcome it and you have him now in you and he wants to redo again. He wants to overcome again through you. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And whatever I'm facing, Jesus says, Chill. I have overcome it, and now you have my spirit in you, and you will do as well. Come on, give him glory. So as I wrap this up, there's two songs. Two songs. That will help bring to balance what I've said this morning. One is called, and we've sung it here. There is nothing that our God can't do. It's by Passion Conference. And here's some of the lyrics. There's nothing our God can't do. There's not a mountain he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing our God can't do. Church, there's li- literally, there's, there isn't anything that our God can't do. The other song is Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. And in there you'll find these lyrics. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. So here's a question. If there's nothing that God can't do, Why do I have to fight? Here's the answer. 
God is fighting my battles. But I am praising Him while I'm on my knees. With just a little bit of faith, God will move mountains. He will fight for us. But we have to have faith first and trust that He is going to do it. I can testify to you and tell you that my faith has grown stronger because God has proven to me He will fight my battles for me. Or should I say, with me. I still have to do my part. I still need to pray, stand against the devil, and praise God. So if you have battles to fight or mountains blocking your path, build up your faith and start trusting God. There really isn't anything God can't do. And the battle does belong to Him. So when we say, mighty God, mighty God points to His cross and could be translated, hero God. (laughs) On the cross, Jesus, our mighty warrior, did battle with two of our enemies, sin and death. When the death settled on Calvary, the battle was over. And Jesus, the mighty God, had won the victory. Jesus is the answer for life's difficulties. And I'm going to ask you, are you facing today some struggles or some battles? Jesus is saying to you, I'm the mighty one. Turn it over to me. Let me show you that I fight for my own. I fight for my own. Mighty God. They went into the battle. The singers are in front. Second Chronicles 20, it says, when they went into the battlefield, they said, give thanks to the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Give thanks. Give yada to the Lord. Worship God with extended hands and declare His mercy endures forever. I alluded to it earlier. What would you have thought if you're the opposing army and you see people thinking, we don't have to sweat this. They're already surrendering. And they were. They were surrendering the fight to the one who told them, don't be afraid. Be calm. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to fight for you. But I also believe, as I mentioned before, as they're raising their hands, and when I raise my hands, because let me tell you, this is how I fight my battles. I'm telling God, I can't handle this. God, I surrender. I also believe when we lift our hands just like them in the middle of the battlefield, we're committing a prophetic act. Today, some of you are going to go home. 
and watch football. And you're waiting. You're waiting for your team to cross the goal line. And you know that they legitimately legitimately have crossed when you see that guy dressed like a zebra in black and white do this. He's saying, they've scored. I believe that when I raise my hands, I'm prophetically telling the devil, God is about to score for me against you. God is about to literally touch down here and show up and show out because this isn't my fight, devil. The battle belongs to him. I am his child and he has said through his word, if God be for you, who can be against you? So, Father, right now, as I did last Sunday, I thank you, as Paul penned, for your indescribable gift. Salvation through Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, the mighty God. (laughs) Which means he will fight for me. Which means he has fought for me. Which means he has won the fight. Whatever that fight is that I will deal with this week or even dealing with right now, he's already won it for me. He already faced it and conquered it. And now because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, he's going to do it again through me, with me, for me. And so, Lord, I thank you. You're the hero of my life. You're the mighty one. And I thank you that right now, you're aware of the struggle, the battle that somebody here is going through, but you wanted them to know. You're ready to fight for them. And that whatever that battle is, you've already won it for them. So I pray that you would seal that in minds and hearts that today are troubled. Today, feel overwhelmed. Today, are dealing with the stress of trying to figure out how am I going to win against this thing? How am I going to navigate through this challenge that's overwhelming me? And you've spoken today clearly through your word that you're going to fight for them as they surrender to you, as they commit to you. They yield to you. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would say, Pastor Angel, I'm dealing with a fight right now. I'm dealing with a battle in my life right now. And God knows I needed to know that he'll fight for me. I needed to know today that what I'm facing right now, he already faced it and he conquered it. 
and I need him to assure me that he's going to do it through me and in me and for me. If that's you, come right now. Come, come. Come to this front area. We call it the altar. I want you to know today his Holy Spirit is here to strengthen you, to help you. This is not your fight. It's his fight. And he's ready. You say, I'm battling with the flesh. You come. I'm battling with myself. You come. He dealt with that on the cross. Knowing this, the Bible says that your old self was crucified together with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. So if you need that assurance, you need his strengthening, you come right now and join us at this altar. This is your moment. This is your moment. You're online watching as well. Make an altar there at your house. This is your moment. Call on him. He's mighty God. He's mighty God. Sometimes you just got to turn it over. You got to quit trying to figure out how can my hands work this out. And you got to lift up your hands and turn it over to his hands. His hands are greater. His hands are stronger. I know it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You're here today, and you have been feeling there's no way out of this. Just like the children of Israel, their enemies coming behind them. In front of them, the Red Sea, there seemed to be no way out. They seemed to be boxed in, confined, restricted, without any way out. And yet God made a way for them because He's the champion in battle. He's the mighty one. You see no way out of what you're dealing with. But I'm inviting you to come to the one who is the way maker right now. Quit letting the devil hold you down. Weigh you down with that discouragement that's been keeping you down. God wants to lift that. God wants to break that off your mind and heart today. Come and surrender to him. Come and turn it over to him. And let him show him you that he is mighty. As this song is sung, I'm inviting you to join these that have already come. And I believe God is going to work mightily here right now. Thank you, Lord.